Hi, this is Greg Anderson, and you're listening to Living in Carver County, the podcast where we interview all kinds of important people throughout the county. Today, I am at the Carver County uh, Administrative Office, and I'm lucky enough to be sitting with County Commissioner Randy Maluchnik. Randy, thanks for letting me come in today. I'm looking forward to this very much. Well, it's always good to uh, talk to people that are interested in finding out about government, and particularly for me, local government, which uh, we refer to local government as the uh, laboratory for democracy. So we try a lot of things here, and not just here, but all local governments, whether it's city, township, county, what have you, even a regional government that we have here in, uh, in the upper Midwest, our Metropolitan Council, which is a metropolitan planning organization, we try different and new things, and hopefully it's developed along the whole spectrum of government from federal, state, region, local. And uh, we, we try things here that would probably be maybe too expensive or somehow too complicated to do at a federal level. So that's the part I like about local government is that we have the ability to do that. We have the ability to, uh, to reach out to the people that we represent and talk to them about how this might affect their lives, their quality of lives, their taxes, you know, the, the quality of uh, the government services you receive for the tax, the value for the dollar. It's really easy. I think intellectually it's not quite there when you just talk about, well, my taxes went up this much. What are you getting in return for your taxes going up that much? Mm -hmm. Do you say to people, well, your taxes went up because we have a lot of businesses that had to charge us more money for one way or another. So are you saying that the businesses should not be raising, you know, for their for their services and their products? And so, you know, we're faced with those kinds of things. Uh, I always say, uh, you know, you need to take a hard look at your taxes uh, and the services you're receiving and how well those are being delivered to you. Just as you would check your bill from Target. Or you're, you know, are you getting a good value for the merchandise you're, you're purchasing? And I think that's a better way to look at government across the entire spectrum. So there's you, a, go ahead. I'm going to interrupt you here just a sec because before we get too deep into it, because there's a bunch of stuff in there that I want to unpack, and you actually hit a bunch of the, you kind of just touched on a bunch of things that I have on my list of questions. But before we get going too deep into the weeds on, on some of the policy things, I think it'd be good for people to get a, a sense of who you are. Um, you know, where'd you grow up, and how is it that life circumstances brought you to this point where you're the commissioner for, uh, you know, part, a portion of Chaska? And we'll talk about the Chaska part, too. But right now, just tell, tell people about who you are. Yeah, well, uh, you know, I haven't figured that out yet, by the way. <laughs> yeah, so when you grow up, what are you going to be? Up, right, what right. Do I, what do I really want to be? Strangely enough, I grew up in a very conservative, and this is, sounds strange for Minnesota maybe, but... It was a conservative county. There's a lot of prejudice there against folks. Uh, uh, there's one of the few counties in the United States that gained uh, membership in the Klan in the 1990s. Oh my! It's a very interesting place to live and visit. And I was there until I was 15 years old. It's interesting if you look at a political, my political journey or spectrum. You have um, it was a pro-union county, 80 percent Democrat or slightly under. 80% Catholic, uh, I mentioned pro-union, pro-life, and uh, very pro-American, mm -hmm. and, and yet very libertarian in many ways that they approach things. And I've had people say, well, what were their values? And I said, well, those were their values, you know, and they're the same type of place that would vote for uh, George W. Bush at the same time they voted for a Democrat, a pro-life Democrat, 
by the name of Jack Murtha, and uh, Jack was a very conservative, pro-defense Democrat, you know, a Vietnam veteran and those kinds of things. So that's kind of a, that give you a picture of uh, where I grew up. Now at the age of 15, my father uh, was unsuccessful with his business partners with a retail outlet, so he decided to leave that world and he moved us out to Casper, Wyoming. Now this is a very unique cultural shock experience, I would say traumatic for a 15-year-old, and uh, they look at things whole very differently out there. Mm -hmm. But still you have the conservative bent, uh, big push to free enterprise <coughs> system, don't bother business, that, that kind of thing. But very practical in their conservatism. They have to work together because their resources are not what they could be to do things like education, uh, to do roads, to do the things that government should be doing. And so it was. it's kind of an, an interesting contradiction of places that I lived there. And uh, I hope I bring that kind of perspective to, to my job. So you try to, you try to, you'll never understand everybody, but you see, you hope you have some depth in every, in every field to try to bring some expertise or at least to begin the conversation in your mind on how you can make these decisions. So, and then uh, let's see, so I go down the road a little bit. I uh, went to the university, uh, oh, I went to a junior college on the middle of a reservation in Wyoming. Got to understand some. I will never understand uh, exactly what it's like to be a Native American, but I got to understand some of their issues. This was right after the second wounded knee. There was people that were at the second wounded knee that lived on that reservation that I oh, knew. Wow. Sure. I talked to them about, you know, the aim, you know, uh, I'll say debacle at this time because they had some leadership problems and their conflicts between the elders and the aim. And uh, Billy Jack movies were coming out then, so it was uh, pretty interesting to be a uh, white Caucasian uh, uh, sometimes in, in these towns and, and seeing that the Native Americans were very frustrated about the ways they were being treated and, and uh, they had their governance issues also, just like uh, we always do. So that was an interesting perspective. And then I went to the University of Wyoming for two years, took a little time off to have a short marriage that didn't last very long. And, uh, and I came back and finished a degree. Uh, went to work in the private sector, making some big money for a couple corporations. I wish I would have been making the money for myself, but I did that <laughs> for a short period of time. I, I had a bar uh, during the boom, which was a very interesting, uh, you know, if you've ever been through an oil boom in, in the West, uh, uh, cast of characters uh, come to your town that uh, can, uh, can change the culture just a little bit, you know, oh, sure. and of course, you have all this uncontrolled growth. Mm -hmm. So I got to watch that. And the problem is the booms are great. People make money. A lot of people live uh, from paycheck to paycheck because uh, they have never been employed at that uh, amount of money, you know, or have or, or happens very rarely in their life. So I had a bar where I had the oil trash folks and, and uh, real working cowboys, the real ones, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, <clears throat> I had bikers come in that bar, and I had, I guess if you could label people, regular people too, but it was, it was an interesting cultural exchange for me. But the big thing about the booms is they go away. Sure. And then you have all this infrastructure, and how do you pay for it? And what do you do with it? And a lot of uh, companies just let it sit and rot, you know. And so in Wyoming, we actually have a, 
or at Casper, we had a long-time refinery that had been there for 80 years at least. They just picked up and left one day. Oh, jobs. So it's that now creates a pretty big hole in the economy. And big hole in the economy. And in the hometown in Pennsylvania, the steel mills just picked up and left one day too. Now I, that was after I left there, but so I, I could see because I visited both people, both places on a regular basis, what kind of uh, tragedy uh, this is to those communities. And uh, but there's resilience, and and people come back. Uh, the the refinery is what I found interesting is a uh, is a park now. It's a very nice park, and hmm. I only lived uh, from the fence of the refinery. I uh, only lived maybe five or six houses. So I had the light from the uh, burning the, the excess stuff off, uh, the flame on top of the refinery. Got the uh, eternal flame outside your eternal room. Eternal flame, right? <laughs> in fact, right into my window, as a matter of fact. So, so what brought you to Minnesota then? Well, uh, sure, I was working for one of those big companies uh, that I talked about, logistics, and we were building gasification plants and electric plants, and we'd come in and, and make sure there was kitchens and, and modules for people to sleep in and all that stuff. So um, I was looking at going back and working on my master's degree and had left those folks and was headed that way when uh, so the National Guard decided to select me to go on active duty to do recruiting and retention. So I spent eight years doing that in North Dakota. Oh, wow. And at that, I met my wife at that time uh, of, uh, that I'm currently married to for the last 36 glorious years, as we always say. Yeah, well put. Yeah, 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 uh, uh, she had a great aunt to use that term, and it's uh, kind of an inside joke, but it really is true. So uh, eight years there, and then um, while I was on active duty there, I managed to get a master's degree from the University of North Dakota. So uh, my first, my bachelor's degree from Wyoming was in broadcasting. I thought that I was going to be either uh, Bernstein or Woodward and, uh, you know, break the big cases and all those kinds of things. So running around the country doing that, and I did a little bit of that. While I was in college, but uh, my my uh, my dad suggested before he died that maybe I was good at this retail and uh, I don't know uh, I was involved in DECA you know that kind of thing when went to nationals for DECA in junior college and high school but uh, so uh, kind of I don't know what I did I just kind of conceded to his opinion and I got the master's degree in vocational marketing education so. So I, I did some, when I got out of the military and I had some uh, medical problems, so it was better that I got off of active duty. And uh, so when we did that, my wife also had just nearly completed her master's degree in special education. So she had a job down here and uh, uh, we had a couple job offers, or she did in uh, St. Paul and uh, I think in Buffalo and Chaska. And we had always loved Chaska because when we were in North Dakota, we would drive down for our long weekend uh, going to Valley Fair. Oh, sure. And then driving up uh, 35 to, uh, to the uh, Hubert H. Humphrey Dome and watching the Twins because, you know, they don't have those kinds of things in North Dakota. So we would do that once a year. We'd camp out down at the uh, campground behind Valley uh, Fair and then also later on in Shakopee at the... Uh, at that campground when the other one flooded out. So we decided that we had driven through Chaska to get there and that we liked the town, we liked the gazebo, we liked those things. So that's why we moved here and uh, she had that job offer. So that worked out really, really well for us. So that's how we got to Chaska. Okay, and so what motivated you to get into uh, 
politics? I mean, I've not yeah. not with the background, but like, what made you run for commissioner? I guess. Yeah. I well, want to be respectful of your time, so. Yeah, you can um, be. So how did you? My time. That'd be one of us in the room anyway. <laughs> so, uh, how? So uh, county commissioner. I'm We're gonna, gonna fast forward to county commissioner. Okay, I got a legacy. Family okay. legacy. So I go back about four generations of you see, and I I don't care much for the word politician. I understand politics and can do it, and it's not my favorite thing to do. I prefer public servant work. Um, I had a grandfather who was a Republican. That didn't matter because they didn't vote for those. He was a township supervisor of a uh, of a quickly uh, evolving suburban rural kind of like Carver County suburban okay. and rural. Uh, township, and he was instrumental, which is why I do a lot of work in transportation. He was instrumental in being making sure that a, a, a state highway, or US, yeah, state highway, came to his township. Uh, his township uh, was farming, and there was some uh, income from coal mining. Uh, he knew that certainly the coal mining wasn't sustainable over time. And a lot of the people worked in the steel mills, and he knew that the steel mills were, you know, we were getting, uh, we were getting our behind kicked by China and stuff, and that people were moving steel mills to other places. So he knew this back in the '50s and the '60s, and so what he did is he was instrumental bringing U.S. Highway 219 to Richland Township, which turns out that he was wise enough to figure out that that was going to become a regional retail area for multiple uh, counties. And so that's really how they survive nowadays because the steel mills are gone and the coal mines, uh, you know, with the machinery and that that they have now, there's not a lot of coal mining jobs. So. Mm -hmm. And the farming, uh, of course, is being encroached <coughs> by the prime farmlands, of course, being encroached by the suburbanization of, of the area. You know, they've got more people. so. So I always honored his, uh, he's got, we got a lot of other stories about integrity and things that he got involved with and he, uh, he stood up to the political folks that wanted to get a piece of the, uh, uh, the uh, county coffers and the uh, township coffers there and they had a systematic way of doing that called the gravel tax, which I don't want to get into too much details anyway. The, uh, when uh, when a, a contract was awarded for building infrastructure, there was three piles of money. One went to the con to the project. Uh, one would go with a kickback to the contractor, and the uh, rest of the money would give be given to the public official who had to give the most of the money back to the party that he belonged to. That's kind of how oh, wow. it worked. And so, my grandfather was one of the first people to stand up to that long, for at least that that occurred for at least 80 years that we knew of in this home county of mine and in and the, and the region, just not that county. And so my grandfather stood up to that and took a lot of flack and uh, they, they came after him a little bit in the next election, but he got away with it. And so he got away with it, you know what happens. And other guys and girls started doing it that were elected officials and pretty soon this thing caved in and the political party in power at that time were not having its coffers filled and of course, you know, making sure that uh, they uh, they got their power. Of course, being able to pass this money on to the national organization. So, uh, you know, we blame my grandfather for doing that. So anyway, <laughs> and there's other stories and things like that. So, what I felt that it was a great. Uh, and my father and mother always talked about public service as being a calling, and that people uh, that do that, you know, that don't, you know, obviously don't. 
you know, aren't in it for the glory and the high pay, you know, which there's neither. Um, it's it's a it's it's a good thing to do if that's what you want to do with your life. So I was exposed to that okay. all along, and and uh, I think I met a guy that ran for county commissioner when I was in Wyoming, uh, Mitch, and he ran several times and lost. But I just liked the uh, the way this guy operated, and I decided I want to be a county commissioner. At the same time, we had a county commissioner who was elected many times in Natrona County in Casper, Wyoming. And I, it was a, a strange relationship. He was a road contractor. Hmm. And he managed to get all the county's projects oh. and, uh, and a county commissioner. Imagine that. Yep. And I, just, <clears throat> I, I guess I understood that even as a young person. But then, and I, I don't say that's right or that's wrong or, or he did anything wrong or I'm sure he abided by the laws and regulations of the time. But he made a lot of money. And now I go back and he created a foundation. And really, that foundation has pretty much given all the money back hmm. over the years. So it's uh, McMurray Foundation in Casper, Wyoming. And uh, it's, I always thought, well, that's interesting. You know, uh, I mean, he did take advantage, in my view, took advantage of the situation and, and furthered himself because of his, public, or his elected office. And I don't know if the end justifies the mean, but I thought that that was interesting. That he yeah, did that. that's kind of a nice. It's a nice ending it's, for it's a something ending. that yeah. potentially could have been an ugly good story. Yeah, good ending so to a story. we're going to skip ahead to tell me for people that don't know, and I think you and I visited about this before we started this uh, the podcast about how there's a ton of people that whose names you and I both know that are I think of as well informed citizens who have no bloody idea what you guys do. So maybe let's start with that. In Carver County in 2000 and at the end of 2019, what is the role of the county commissioner? Well, we're, I mean, the, the academic answer is we're an extension of the state. So we take their programs and we uh, deliver those government services to the local folks. So that would be the welfare programs. That would be the public health programs. Uh, uh, numerous other programs. We, uh, of course, try to enforce the, the laws, and we have a jail here, and we have a, and we have a county attorney. Now, we're, we don't do their jobs, but we make sure they have the budget to successfully accomplish. So on an org chart, you guys, below the commissioners, and, and how is, in, in Carver County, just briefly speak to how the county is divided up and how many commissioners are there? And well, there's five commissioners. Under state statute, you can have seven once you've gone over 100,000. We've done that, gone over 100,000. I don't think there's any uh, desire to have more commissioners. I think okay. uh, most commissioners feel they can handle the number of people that they represent. It's around 21,000 per commissioner right now. Uh, is, that, is it more population-driven or geography-driven? It's population-driven. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And to get, but there, you know, geography is a somewhere on the list, and to get that to match up can be difficult sometimes. Right. Which, and we get the la what we call the last bite of the apple. So first the the uh, federal offices, then the state offices, and uh, the cities are actually before us. And then once they work that all out, then we get to do our districts, and we do that uh, every ten years, the two years after the census. And that results in us only having a two-year term uh, because we readjust our districts. Now, there's exceptions to that. If there's and then you guys do offsetting, too. We offset, so, so it's three one-time. So you wouldn't necessarily time. have a, you wouldn't right. want five new, brand-new people coming but in at the we, same time. No, and I, I uh, even though you, there's always a, 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 
part of the culture that wants to throw the rascals out, I can tell you I don't recommend that because we've seen that where five have been replaced at one time because of special elections or whatever the case may be. And it's been disastrous for those counties and, uh, and I guess disasters can be defined however you want. But uh, there's, there's some uh, value in experience, yeah. at least knowing how to do things. Um, yep. Okay, so the, so the counties, Carver County presently has five commissioners and you are the commissioner representing the western side of Chaska, south side of uh, Victoria, south of Highway 5, west of Highway 41. As far west as? Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> the reason is, is that Commissioner Ishti's district cuts into a little bit of Chaska on the west side. And so I, I believe he represents, it has to do with the old uh, Chaska Township annexation. Mm -hmm. And so all that hasn't been to get make sure that he gets a close as close to twenty one thousand as possible, you know, which okay. is difficult. So that population there. thing though that can really affect the the boundaries from right. election to election. Right. So literally. there's some Chaska residents on the west side of town that are actually in the rural fifth uh, district, which is Commissioner Issues District. Okay. And so if we were looking at an organizational chart, you'd have the five commissioners essentially operating well, you have to the use people a, on top. People are on top of the org. You know, they tell us what to do. So. Which would be the citizens. The citizens. Right. right. But, okay. But the, using a, like a, just to maybe do a, like a, thinking of it like a public company. Yep. You'd right. have shareholders. Would, right. The citizens would be equivalent to the shareholders, right? Yep. And you guys would operate essentially as a, as a board of directors. Yep. And then with underneath you from an org chart, you'd have the sheriff's department and the county attorney's office and health and human services and... Um, That's the way the chart looks. I like to think of the uh, all the elected officials as partners, you know, right? Because uh, you know they'll the county attorney and the sheriff will quickly point out to you that they were elected by all the people of the county, and us commissioners were only elected by your twenty one thousand people. Twenty one thousand people <laughs> or less. So okay. Uh, in fact, that conversation comes up quite often. But uh, so, but you know, we we in Carver County have always had a good relationship. Uh, well, at least a long time, 50 well, years or so. Working. Yeah, working together with the electeds, the county commissioners. Now, have there been some uh, personality conflicts over the years? Yes, but I would say under this current board and maybe a few behind it, there was never these, these little personal battles that sometimes electeds get involved in. We have a tendency to have more row officers. You know, we only have the commissioners and the county attorney and the county sheriff, when you have more role officers, that, it, that sometimes creates an environment. You know, there's where you have the difference between a public servant and a politician. Some people get elected without knowing their job, but they're very popular people in the community. Hopefully they're a, clerk, a, a quick learn, but always in those jobs, it's like drinking from a fire hose, you know. And there's always takes time to get them up to speed. But, um, and there's personalities, I said, but the more row officers you have, the more chance you have for that. And of course, the argument for a guy but, like So define office, row officers. Um, in some states and in some counties in Minnesota, you can have, uh, you can have uh, 10 or 12 row officers. You can have, an, the assessor can be elected, the, uh, the auditor can be elected. Got the it. Treasurer <clears throat> is no longer elected here. In Pennsylvania, you've got a, a Democrat, um, jury, I forget the title, but anyway, it goes back to county structure back to the 18 1700s. 
they have something like 12 or 14 row officers and as little as a guy that's supposed to make sure that all the Democrats show up for their jury pools and they have a, a person that's a Republican and make sure all the Republicans show up. It's it got that crazy at one time. Sure. You know, and of course back there they're trying to consolidate, not have all those those positions elected. So and, and you can imagine if you've got a Democrat and Republican designated as that, you well that's gotta be partisan, of course. Sure, know? sure. And so, so and so that's a nice segue. So your role is essentially should be nonpartisan if I'm I mean if I follow the structure of this this isn't a partisan position there's not a republican candidate for commissioner and a democratic candidate for commissioner Uh, i mean obviously you have your personal biases but but that doesn't that's not functional in terms of this role this is more of a a functional role in terms of execution of of funds that are allocated right now do you have uh taxing capacity in turn or taxing ability to i mean do you have an ability to change taxes for people uh, we have a hearing to do that, yes, and a process to do that. Uh, what we've done, in, and we've taken this very, well, we've always taken it seriously, but we've taken it more seriously in the last decade where we've had, we've introduced more science and data into doing assessing a person's property value. Uh, we, all our, our assessors are uh, professionally trained. Um, let's see, we have, we've, uh, brought technology into the game, you know, where, and we have like, or uh, if you want to talk, uh, like you're in your real estate, so you know, like properties, comparable properties mm-hmm. is the term. So, um, what we what we have, and actually, counties have had a. If you go back to the 1700s and 1800s, there's been some when sheriffs ran counties before there was county commissioners. Go back to the sheriff of Nottingham and that kind of stuff, you know, because it's a carryover from from the counties from England. Uh, they had some pretty shady deals go on where uh, they, so just one day, if somebody didn't like you, your assessed value would go up higher than you could ever, hmm. you know, and beyond the mortgage and everything else, and then the bank would foreclose. They'd have a sheriff's sale of the property. It'd be amazing that a good friend of the sheriff would end up with your, your property. So there's examples of that. As a matter of fact, uh, President Carter's wrote a book about one of his uh, ancestors that that had happened to down in the deep south. So uh, somewhere along the line we decided that there should be more than one person running the county rather than just a sheriff. So that's where you got the evolution of county commissioners. So there's more people watching what's going on. It's a balance of power. But in terms of from a taxation standpoint, your ability to impact taxes is is derived from valuations as opposed to line items that you're adding to the to the actual tax statements. Is that, is that a fair statement? Pretty fair, pretty fair. The, um, yeah, uh, we're told exactly what to do by the, by the state. Okay. That, and the authority comes directly by them or from them. And so to be honest, even our portion of the tax uh, are of our budget, I would, and this is, this is a moving target, I would say we have control of about a third of our budget, maybe a little less. Uh, because everything else is mandated by the state and they love to uh, mandate something and give us oh half the money or even 75 percent of the money to pay for that person to do that so give me an example of that for people who maybe are want to get into the deep weeds on this a little bit but so an example of a program that's mandated not necessarily one that's underfunded but Mm -hmm. a a, a Uh, dictate from them that you are forced to execute on affordable care act Okay. Okay. So some of the things that we had to do to make sure that that operated properly, 
we had to hire two or three employees to do that. And under that situation, we received no funding for doing that, but we received requirements where we, we had to do that. Perfect example, and if people are listening, if you've gone to our license centers lately, the service is not as good or doesn't seem as good because it's not as speedy. So the reason it's not as speedy is because now we have these new uh, licenses and to go to an airport and use your driver's license, you have to go through a, a, a process. And I can't remember the name they use for these driver's licenses. Are you talking about that enhanced one where you enhanced bring in your, you have to bring in your birth certificate yeah. and uh, yeah. So whatever that is, and it's for Dental security. records, re yeah. you know, letter from a clergy, well, something. It's, it's for security of our nation. Right, right. So Additional security. And I, yeah, no, I'm I not begging on it. I'm just saying no, it's, it's a are. little yeah. bit more yeah. of a yeah. process but, to get that renewal but, done. But when you deliver that government service, it takes six more minutes to do that driver's license now because there's additional things that the state and ultimately Homeland Security wants us to do to make sure that's the person who was on that picture ID. Okay. So uh, we got <clears throat> no more funding to do that. And so when you have to wait in line uh, for longer periods of time and for, and, and not only that, at the same time, if you want to see a debacle, the computers at the state were not working correctly. Also with the Affordable Care Act, we had the U-Care debacle. With the driver's license, we had that big. I can overuse the word debacle, by the way. Here, and, uh, you know, I, <laughs> I see a pattern. But see a pattern. Here. Government, okay. and you know, I think it's a pretty fair comment that government doesn't do technology really great. Right. But we have to rely on the private sector there, and and it's 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 our job to try to make sure they fulfill their contracts or do what they're saying, and and that's not always easy because you know a lot of electeds don't have that kind of training, but we hopefully hire good, smart people. And I'm very proud to say that almost everybody I have working down here is smarter than I am, and boy, am I glad of that. So they keep us out of trouble, and they do a heck of a good job. I so now with your job, if, if, just, if you can hang on to that one just, I'd want sure. to jump on something. So you, this is literally a job for you. I mean, this isn't like a even though it's a board position. I mean, you have an office here, correct? Mm -hmm. And uh, No, we all have one office. Oh, you share an office. Okay. Yes. But it's a but it's a more engaged process as opposed to using that board. You know, with going back to my board of directors analogy, the you know board member wouldn't necessarily have an office at a corporation where they sat on the board. But yeah. but you have a more active role. This is a more active position, for example, than say I don't know being on a planning commission or something like that. It's yeah, I understand where you're going. It is. I think most people consider it a part time job, and we have. Uh, Let's see, I think three, th well, four of the other members have other jobs. Okay, I don't. Again, I have a, it's because of my background. It's not a, a derogatory to the other folks on the board. I have this commitment to public service, and again, it doesn't hold me any higher or any great, you know, it's not, I'm not special or, or a greater public servant than anybody else. It's just the way I approach it from my upbringing. So, and uh, I spend a lot of time doing this. I have months or months. I have weeks where I do 60 hours, but to be fair, um, I do take some time off here and there, and I do some traveling, so I think it balances out quite well. Okay, but, so, but, it's, a, but it's, a, it's a more significant commitment, I guess, is that's kind of where I was going with this. For me, than, because I see problems that, and because of this background I have in government, you know, and I worked for Congressman Mingi for eight years, I forgot to mention that, but uh, I, I see solutions, and I want to strive to somehow fix them so that 
you know, your government works better for you, delivers the services that it should be at a reasonable cost. So. And so you guys have monthly meetings? We meet that are uh, three to... times a month. and uh, Those are all open to the public? Yep, absolutely. And we have workshops, too, where they, the, where they and I'll explain what a workshop is. The staff uh, gives us information, and then we give them a direction of which way, you know, they want to go. Or the direction could be, I want you to come back to the board with three options. And then we'll pick the best option, you know. So they have to. So uh, we do that now. Those workshops are wide open, so anybody can come to those. Make sure that we're not, you know, doing any diabolical things here at, uh, at the courthouse, and that we're trying to be secret or anything. No like nefarious that. attempts. And you have open meeting law requirements we, we, and things we like have that. A, so you know, it's uh, be honest with you. The open meeting law is a completely unworkable law. But and if it was so good, why doesn't the legislature come under its? Uh, Mm-hmm. Uh, auspices. So, um, <laughs> didn't mean to open Pandora's box. I well, just, we, but I just we, meant we, that the, the, I guess the point of this for people, and, and yeah. the point of this as a resource for people to understand a little bit more about what you guys do is that if they have a burr about something, they can come to a meeting. They're not going to be barred. You don't have confidential meetings, and you do have quorum issues where you can't be discussing this over, you know, beers right. over at Aaron's, and if too many commissioners are there, you can't be. Deciding policy at somebody's there is a, living room. Yeah, it's it, you know, and there's different interpretations of the law. Um, I can sit down and talk about issues with my colleagues uh, as long as we're not talking about how we're going to vote. Now, an intellectual person, a rational person, knows after talking to somebody, they have a pretty good idea how they might vote. So that's why this is a silly law, or it's not. A, it's not a silly law. The the goal is right. Uh, transparency but it has to be done in a, a different way and uh, what I don't understand is why a local official who I think history would tell you has a little less uh, conflicts of interest normally uh, why you would have that law for local officials and you wouldn't have it for those in the legislature mm-hmm. I don't I don't really understand it because I would rather my experience in life would tell me that I'd rather have a little bit more transparency down to legislature. So yep. now and that's fair. I don't think a lot of people would disagree with that. Yeah. So you guys have your meetings three three times a month, right? And um, and so what are some of the things that you're working on now? What are some of the priorities for the current um, uh, board? Well, I can tell you what my priorities are. And okay, that's fair. Uh, I can convince them that those are things. Uh, one is uh, Highway 212 and funding that. And there's, that's been an evolution. It's been something that I've worked on quite some time. At a full court press, I would say, for the last uh, five years, six years. because. And, and explain to people, what does working on 212 mean to you? All right. Well, you have to, Highway 212 is a lot more information than you'll ever want to have. But it's actually a road that's on the federal freight system. So that means that the United States government understands that the freight that moves on... That, that's an important corridor. It's a corridor. corridor okay? Transportation corridor, right? So what I've done... And people living in Carver County kind of get that at this point. They get that, but people in Washington, D.C. might not understand that. Okay. Because okay. the funding has to come from them. So I spend some time going back there, reinforcing that idea. Hey, did you know it's on the federal system, federal freight system? And uh, and I work through our national organizations because it carry a, a you know, we get this a lot of times when a, a local official or any official uh, goes uh, goes to Washington D.C. Somehow it's uh, one of those I forget the term they used to use, but 
Anyway, it's just a fun vacation, and it's not, let me tell you, because I, I spend more hours up and not sleeping, running around the, the capital and, and, and going to different agencies and that kind of thing. Uh, what we were able to do is work with the Obama administration and got federal funding dedicated, and Congress, of course, uh, to the freight highway system, which, by the way, uh, working through, uh, it was a pass-through. It had to go to the state when we got it approved. And now we've got $15 million from that program that I worked on for many years at the national level through our national organization. And so that's that's $15 million. So we're glad to have that. I also participated in a regional uh, uh, committee through the Met Council, and it's required by federal statute that they have a committee, transportation committee, with elected officials who make decisions how a certain certain funds are spent in the metropolitan area. So we, I'm on a committee that makes the scoring decisions, and then we throw them in there. We have a big uh, decision every two years on what gets funded. 212 last time got seven million from that. So I work with that committee to be sure that corridors that are important to freight, which haven't always scored very high in our region, um, we're given due consideration. Getting food from our praying agricultural lands to the west to uh, to the metropolitan area should be a, a priority. And also, not only that, 212 gets money or gets freight to the, the port in Shakopee here and goes down the Mississippi River on barges and out to the world. So literally, 212 is a distribution channel, if you will, to for the food to the world. We feed the world. And uh, somehow I think that should have uh, Higher priority uh, than some higher priority than maybe some bus stop somewhere. Maybe you know, and, and I certainly understand people want to be safe at a, a bus stop and sheltered and those kinds of things. But you know, we can always have those conversations. So yeah. you're basically going out soliciting funds from at a national level, and then working at a state level, and then working at a regional level. Um, you mentioned Met Council. I think there's a lot of people. Just briefly explain the. Uh, uh, I want to say interaction, but it's more like a dance, I suspect, between the, you know, in, in, in your case, Carver County as a, as a set of commissioners and the Metropolitan Council and briefly what they do. Because there's a ton of people that hear it, and I know that, you know, just from in my world, they don't understand what they do. They think that the extent of Met Council is the expansion of sewer and water. Um, but if you can elaborate a little bit more on what they do and what their role is. That's probably what they do best. And what people have to understand is as a region you've got to be talking to each other and they facilitate that. They're also mandated by some federal statutes, the transportation piece. We don't get the transportation money. It's, it's actually gas tax money back to our region unless we have a metropolitan council, a metropolitan planning organization or a governance. They, are, they have two types. They have a metropolitan planning organization which does planning and works with local government to make sure that, you know, when a road goes from one county to another, it matches up. You know? <laughs> That's useful. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, 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 it, and there's examples where that hasn't happened or the counties disagree where they should go and, and things like that. Or well, and, and in fairness, moving roads is, is contentious because somebody's land's going to get split up. It's not always going to nicely fall on a border between, you know, non-usable land. It's going to, I mean, I, re, I re, 
I when I got in real estate, I worked in Wyzetta, mm-hmm. and the 212 or the Highway 12 rather expansion or Wyzetta Boulevard was unbelievably contentious because it was. Who do you want to make mad? The McMillans from Cargill's or the mm-hmm. Pipers or the Hams or the Dayton's or, you know. <laughs> well, so. yeah, you asked a question about 212, but, you know, right away in Minnesota is very difficult. Oh, absolutely. To do. And, uh, of course, if you try to change, it's very unfair to the taxpayers because responding to, you know, uh, a counter offer from a property owner, we have very limited time and access to do that. And uh, we've asked the legislature to address that. And it's very often gets tied up with property rights. And so what happens is, and forgive me, all my friends have gone to law school, but really the people who make the money on this situation are the attorneys, not necessarily the property owners or the, you know, and we don't, well, I'm not aware of the county ever getting a good deal on property. As soon as the county's interested, then it, it seems to escalate for some reason. You know? mm-hmm. So. I don't really understand that, but this system is so archaic that we had property owners who challenged what the county wanted and, and went to court and went through the process, and they actually, by the time they're done, they're upside down with the attorney. They, they literally lost money selling their property to the county. Now, to me, I just can't justify that in my mind, and that's not how government is supposed to work. So, sure, sure, sure. So, but we could talk about but that for a couple of days. I was just going to say, we'll come back to that <laughs> that kind of thing because we could talk about the wall too, and you know, yeah. all the property rights in in a state that's as libertarian as Texas, and how that's going to happen. But yeah, that's like a, a that. we'll it's let's set that aside. That. Yeah. We'll, we'll leave that alone. Yeah. Um, I did want to come back to the um, Met Council. So you're working with Met Council. You said that's mm-hmm. one of the things that they do well is sewer and water. Excellent. Um, Better than anybody, as a matter of fact. Okay. Yeah, and we're very lucky in the region. Uh, transportation, the battle is between the suburbs, of course, and, and downtown folks. Now, our missions are different. Their mission is moving people, all right? So mm-hmm. they've got to move a mass amount of people, and, and you talk about property rights, hopefully in a, in a small area so that we don't have expanded roads and highways eating up more of their property taxes, you know, so that we could go sure. down there or they could get, get out or move products or services. Our problem in the suburbs is safety. So we gotta make sure our roads are safe and that uh, they make sense. So uh, since we don't have all the money in the world that we need to do transportation, we have to set priorities, okay? So then you mentioned the word dance. Yes, it is a dance. And sometimes it's slow music and sometimes the music's a little bit faster or rock and roll, if you know what I mean. So Mm -hmm. where I would argue that I would be the best candidate or somebody running against me is because I've had a long dance with those folks and I understand their needs, they understand where I'm at, and there's compromises that have been made over year, over the years and not necess- they, I guess there's a trust level that, okay, we get what you're doing, you have to understand what we're doing and can we come up with you know some type of a uh, collaboration that'll work for everybody so that's what you try to do so So within this priority that you have with respect to transportation is that something that was negotiated then with the other commissioners or does each commissioner kind of have their sort of pet things that they work on and then bring those back how how, how's that interplay yes (laughs) all that we have a meeting at the beginning our first meeting of the year we have a list and we go down and we used to go all the divide way and the, conquer, so to yeah. speak. Well, or... it's amazing. There's hardly ever con- any uh, contention with that. 
Okay. People, we all know what we like to work on and what we have time to work on. Now, I have a little more time because I'm not otherwise employed, okay? So uh, I, I uh, get to spend a little more time downtown uh, than many of my colleagues and working with those same people that are on some of the Met Council committees and other committees. We've got Mosquito District. Uh, uh, hey, what else we have? We have? I'm serving on a regional look at workforce and, and housing, homelessness, all those things. Mm -hmm. you know? Because quite frankly, even though that might be occurring more somewhere else clo or closer to downtown, it is affecting our economy and it does affect what we do out here. So we need to look at things Regionally, that's why we have a Met Council to do those kinds of things. It's actually a pretty effective form of government. We just don't always agree on what the best decisions are or if the decisions that they're making together as a whole is the best for us or if a better decision would be better for us. So that's that's where we have the conflict. The word housing, affordable housing, uh, down there it's more critical because uh, they have. if you don't have a, a place to for people to live, they usually don't work there, mm -hmm. you know, or work nearby, you know what I mean, whatever the case may be. So we're having that in Carver County with our growing pains that we don't have enough affordable housing for the workforce at a different social economic situation than, than, than many here. I mean, we are doing, there's many of our citizens are doing quite well, but as you know, in a bell curve, there's some that have to be on the other side of the bell curve. So. Uh, we're, we're a wealthy county and uh, one of the wealthiest uh, in the upper Midwest. But we need to do a little better job at figuring out, and you serve on the Community Development Authority, on how to get housing for these people. And, you know, wages of, and, and I forget the time if we're talking a decade or we're talking 15 years, but wages have only gone up an average of 6% for that category, social economic category, whereas rents have gone up 38%. So there's a problem there, you know. Where yeah, you don't have to be that great at math to figure out that's no, not even, working out really even well. Even a guy like me who's flunked math a couple of times, I get that one. Yeah, yeah. so you don't even yeah. have to take your shoes off to do yeah, that cipher. Yeah. That's arithmetic. That isn't even modern. <laughs> that so, and there's all right. Yeah. So, so what are the so okay? So the the various commissioners and I will be talking to the other commissioners too, and we're going to spend maybe yeah. more time on some of their, yeah. you know, good the, luck with that. The, no. the, some of the <laughs> some of the uh, hot buttons that they have, but. Um, what else do you have? You said transportation, and I know just knowing you, I obviously, you know, veteran housing is a is a passion. So before we run out of time, maybe yeah. if you want to address that just in a, a, well, a little uh, bit. Well, I've got a new one that I didn't, I mean, I was interested and cared about, and there's, you know, so most of it was veterans and transportation for years and years and years, and that's, so then because we're changing, uh, more people, different types of people, different kinds of people, then we got to start paying closer attention to health. And so I've been working and I meet once a month with the top people in health in the county and we sit down and talk about that. We've encouraged the surveys and then so I guess that's an So what, what do you mean by health? I mean, can be yeah, more specific? Yeah, we are the public health board. Okay. The, the county board is the public health, so there's funding that comes from the state. And we're supposed to do things to make sure people are immunized and uh, they got their shots and and uh, they're educated on some health issues. We're the no number one in health in the nation many times. You know that's because we have wealthy people here and people that can take care of those kinds of things. But we got to watch out for the ones that are a little bit below that line and make sure that they that their health needs are 
taken care of, not in a socialistic way, but in a way, hey, this is the best way for you to take care of your family and those kinds of things. But our education, yeah, oper- yeah. availability of things, not necessarily like mandating care, but... Right. but WIC, we're going to be administrating the WIC program, which has been proven over time to, you know, people do better when they have that type of nutrition at that age, you know, that kind of thing. Explain so, just briefly what is WIC. For people now you got me, because I used to know what those initials stand for. Women, infant, infant, I don't know what the C is. But anyway, it, it makes sure that they have the right nutrients. Uh, either they, they provide vouchers, money, or the actual product to make sure they have formula and the foods that are needed for young Early childhood, Early childhood development. development. So you're not talking about food stamps or no, some, no. Food whatever the variation, whatever they're called now. But but you're talking about um, supplementation and yeah, things that are available for people yeah. that are they're in a social lower end of social economic thing. And you know what? We want to give them every opportunity to be successful. And if uh, these young people, if their minds, and we know they got to have protein, and there's some programs that just say, how do we get protein to these kids to make sure that their minds grow? Uh, brains and minds grow in a way, not minds, but the brains grow in a way that they can have the capacity to absorb all things that they want to learn to be successful. And, you know, my goal is to make everybody very productive taxpayers. So, and I always joke, I say, that's so I can give myself a raise. But that isn't what I'm talking about. I'm talking about... I get it. Yeah. The more <laughs> more productive people are, the better they feel about themselves. Well, and productive people require less resources. Ah, yeah. And I call that front-loading the problem. You know, I have this thing where people always talk to me about keeping taxes low, and I get that, I buy that. That's the point I start at. I already assume that we're going to do that, you know. But where, at what point do you spend a dollar to save a nickel? So in other words, you got to look at what the ramifications are, what you're doing right now today, 20 years from now, all right? If that child is not getting the protein it needs for its brain to develop or evolve correctly, you know, is that going to be a person that's going to be on services later on? You know, so we give them, they said, uh, you know, government can't make sure, but at least create an opportunity working with the free market system and all the other things that go on in the world <clears throat> to give people the, uh, at least the opportunity to be successful in life and to have a good quality of life, the pursuit of happiness, if you will. You sure. Know. Track to run on. Yeah. yeah. So it's. Boots to pull up. Yeah, you know, yeah. If you, if you <laughs> going back to yeah. King talking about, you yeah, know, you, eating, you can't right, pull, you pull up your, up your you boots. can't pull up your bootstraps if you don't have boots. So right, I, right, yeah, right. I get that. Or the ability to pull on. Yeah, right, right. So that's good. So, so we're running out of time here, and and this has been great. And I would love to do this again if you can squeeze me in at another time, and we can. There's other things we can maybe do a deeper dive on. But one of the questions that I always like to end with is. Always, not that I have that many of these in the can so far, but so far this has been a, a reasonable question, is if you could sit down with people in the county in their living room when you're cracking a beer, what would you want them, as a commissioner, what would you want people to know? Poor people aren't crooks. They're not rapists. They're not people trying to steal. They're not necessarily a burden on society. They just make less money than everybody else. So... Um, I would not be afraid of poor people, poorer people being in your community. I would not be afraid of people with different color to be in your community. Um, I think almost all human beings deserve, well, all human beings deserve some level of human dignity. And I just think, uh, you know, 
they used to say wasting their brain was a terrible thing, but wasting a human being, if you can just accept them. I mean, it's the old inclusion law, you know, or inclusion rule, you know. And mm-hmm. If you go back to the golden rule, you know, treat people like you would like to be treated. But I think there's a lot of misunderstanding of, uh, of people who might not make just as much money as your neighbors, you know. And uh, when I grew up, I grew up in a place where poor people had to work harder. And so we valued that. And the people that worked two and three jobs, you know, particularly the working poor, you know, they, they're, you know, right away we take them off any medical subsidy, you know, make sure they have insurance when they start working, you know, easing them off. We've kind of got that figured out now, but, you know, and I, you know, you always think about people want to concentrate on, you know, the welfare queen or somebody that's um, cheated the system. And I, I don't know what to tell you about that. We just try the best we can to make sure they're not around, you know. Mm-hmm. But most people use these programs as a leg up and uh, to move on to productive lives. And uh, we're, I guess if we're the safety net, we're the safety net. I don't apologize for being that, but I'm, uh, when I say safety net, I'm looking at a, a hand up, you know, not a hand out. So that's my theory with those things. Okay. So. Well, I mean, there's a lot to unpack there. We could do a whole talk about, we could have another um, uh, interview just about uh, poverty in Carver County because I think you're right. There's a, and a, but I think there's also a sense that we don't have that, that that's not a problem here. And because people see the, the scope of the, just as an example, the new construction that's happening, you know, I think you'd be hard pressed to find a new home in Victoria under $480,000. And um, that there's a sense that everybody's doing well. And, it's good that those folks are doing well. It's Absolutely, I don't begrudge anybody doing well. It just, yeah. but I, but there's a, but I think collectively you can have a blind spot assuming everybody's doing well, and and so that's something we could talk about at another time. But yeah. like I said, I want to be respectful of your time, and I, I'm I'm trying to stay on the schedule that um, that we laid out, and so I really appreciate you taking the time to let me come in today, and. Um, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll see if we can define commissioners as we talk to other commissioners. After you listen to some of theirs, you may redefine. do better than I. Do. You may redefine your definition, but yeah. my definition but, is we do. Uh, and I know we try to wrap up. But we do what everybody else doesn't want to do. Okay. So, <laughs> and uh, you can we'll explain that sometime another time. And I have a you're a captive audience, which is the the greatest gift God can give me, and then I'll. And I'll abuse you forever, telling you things that I think. So, and that. Well, but I appreciate as that. As far as the safety net goes, and just the old military thing that I was taught in the, after 20 years of part and full time military services, we don't leave people behind, and that's right. not my intention to do that. So, no, that's a nice. That, we can wrap it up. How that's a nice way to wrap up, Randy. Yeah. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this. This was terrific. Thank you. You bet, Greg. Anytime. <laughs>